please stand for the reading of God's word. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. That's good to be back. I was out of town last weekend. We had Eric Wayman uh, teach. He did a fantastic job, didn't he, on uh, Ecclesiastes. Gave you a break from the minor prophets, but not much of a break because you're in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> but uh, this beautiful, I thought, articulation, how life is hevel. Life is a vapor. It's smoke. There's some beautiful things in this world, but in this broken world, you can't hang on to it. As soon as you hang on it, it slips away. And we have to learn how to fear God in the midst of a life like that. And I think actually Habakkuk is a, a decent follow-on from this. Uh, we're in the minor prophets, the minor league prophets, as Ryan just called them. Uh, they'd be offended by that. Um, I call them the concise prophets, actually. They're smaller in words only. Um, Habakkuk is, I think, um, well, I just want to say, one of the reasons we're doing this, I mean, this is like the most obscure books in the Bible, right? We went from the, mo like the best stories in the Bible, the encounters with Jesus, right? Like all the greats to literally the most obscure books. And that was very intentional. I wanted us to see whether you're in John or whether you're in Habakkuk, the word of God is so relevant. And the themes that these prophets are, are wrestling with are like, they're like, you will feel, you will, once we understand the context, like, oh my gosh, this is so relevant to my life. And I think Habakkuk is that way. Uh, Habakkuk is unique among prophets. Uh, he is not speaking words of complaint to the people, which is what most of the prophets are doing. They're calling out the people. Habakkuk is, this whole book is a conversation that he's having with God. And I'll just let you know, he is having a three-chapter wrestling match with God. He's confused. He doesn't know how to make sense of what's going on around him. He's angry, and he's, he's duking it out with God. That's what this book is all about. And so I was thinking about 
um, that story, that obscure story. Remember the story of um, uh, Jacob? Uh, this is a picture of him wrestling with the angel of the Lord. This is towards the end of the story of Jacob. He has this night where he's alone. He has this mysterious encounter with the angel of the Lord. And they, they grapple. They wrestle all night long. It's such a cryptic, strange story. And the truth is, really, Jacob, this epitomized his whole life. He wrestled with God his whole life. And God wounds him in the wrestling match. He touches his hip and, like, dislocates his hip. But Jacob hangs on and says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And God blesses him and renames him. And so Jacob comes out of this wrestling match with a limp, but also with a new identity. Having wrestled with God, worked it out with God, comes into this new day, a new man with a new identity and a new relationship with God. And that's really what Habakkuk is about. It's Habakkuk doing his own wrestling with God. And so I just want to say, you know, You probably have no idea what Habakkuk's about, but it is so relatable. Um, And I say that especially for any of you who are here who feel like that's what my relationship with God feels like, or I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to, to wrestle with God. And for some of us, faith comes easy. Some people, I know people, faith just comes easy, and for others, it's just a struggle. Uh, it's a wrestling. You have questions, and the world doesn't make sense, and, and you have, you're angry with God, and you have to figure it out. And, and some of you right now are in really heavy seasons where you are, this is you, you're wrestling. And it might be you're wrestling with big ideas and questions, or it may just be life is really hard, and you are walking through heavy burdens. And I know there's a lot of heaviness out there right now. And, and so you're just struggling. It's, it's a fight of faith. And some of us, I think, there is, a, there is a struggle to be had, but we're honestly like, I know if I were to go down this sort of questioning, there would be a struggle, but honestly, I feel like that would just be opening Pandora's box, and I've, I've got a family to, to provide for, I've got a full-time job to keep, and, or grandkids to, and honestly, if I'm honest, I know there's a, there's a match to be had, but I just don't have it in me. And, and so then you have to decide what you can do that, but sometimes what happens then is, we start to kind of just slowly pull away from God a little bit. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, and so I'll just sort of pull away and just keep this kind of low-level Christian faith, but not real intimate encounter with God. And so I just want to say this morning, if, if you relate at all to wrestling with God, um, Habakkuk is your patron saint, okay? And he shows us in three chapters, we're going to kind of give, I'm going to give you an overview, the fight of faith, the struggle of faith, a man who looks squarely at the anger and the questions and the concerns and dukes it out with God, but who comes out of that with a deep faith, holding on to his God and trusting in his God. And I think that's what we're invited into in this fight of faith. So let's, uh, I'm going to try to walk through this as quickly as I can. Uh, it's, the, the flow of Habakkuk is actually very simple. Habakkuk complains, God responds. Habakkuk complains, God responds. And then Habakkuk finally comes to this place of, of uh, trust. All right? So let's look first at Habakkuk's complaint in, in verse 2. How long? It sounds like the Psalms, doesn't it? How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? I cry out violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. And the Torah is paralyzed. And justice never prevails. Okay, he is disillusioned with when he looks around him at the people of God, at Israel, God's people, at what he's seen. 
He's absolutely disillusioned by it. There's wickedness. They have abandoned God's ways. There's greed. There's violence. And God's law no longer has, has the day. And so he's crying out, God, how long? These are, these are your people. Like, I thought you were a powerful God. If you were a powerful God, I would think you would make your people better than the nations around them. And yet look at all the brokenness in your people. What gives? What, do you, what are you going to change the situation? And I was, I was reading this this week. I was thinking that, that's actually, I think that is a, a core complaint of many people these days. The more people I talk to, I hear a lot of people who look at God's people today, I'll call it the church in America, and are increasingly disillusioned by what they see. They, feel, they have these same feelings. God, like, I thought if, your spirit, if this is your temple, if your spirit dwells in these people, your spirit's not very powerful because these people are messed up, right? And, we've, and now we've got like podcasts and, and, and documentaries that, that will, in pretty impressive fashion, document some of the abuses of the church and the, the, the power plays that you see, the splits, um, some of just the, the, the brokenness uh, within the church. Uh, or we see churches that have just completely abandoned biblical faith and are, are just adopting thoroughly secular views of the world for the most part and still kind of slapping God onto it. And so there's a lot of disillusionment. Or there's still disillusionment with our country as Americans. God, what, what is going on? What is going on in this country? And so this is what Habakkuk is crying out. It's a very relatable cry. Let's look at God's answer. And I'm going to tell you up front, it is a thoroughly unsatisfying answer to Habakkuk. Okay? Here's his answer. It's going to create more problems than solutions for Habakkuk. Verse 5. This is God now speaking to Habakkuk. Don't worry. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves to promote their own honor. Don't worry, Habakkuk. I have a solution. I'm raising up the Babylonians, and they will come in, and they will conquer my people, and they will bring justice to my disobedient people. They are my chosen instrument to bring about the justice that you're longing for, Habakkuk. And it's quite clear by God's own description that, that the Babylonians are not a great group of people, right? He says they're ruthless, verse, verse 6. They're impetuous. Uh, verse 7, they're a law to themselves. These are lawless, ruthless people. And uh, this is how I'm going to deal with the problem, Habakkuk. I'm going to bring this nation in, and they're going to bring justice on my people. And I was thinking, that'd be like, a, like an American pastor going, God, what, what is up with America? You, America's falling apart. You've got to do something. God's like, don't worry. I'm raising up North Korea. <laughs> Truly, this is what it would feel like. And they're going to come with nuclear weapons, and they're going to bring my justice on America. Okay, that's what it would feel like from Habakkuk's standpoint. So that takes us to uh, Habakkuk's second complaint which is, God, your solution is worse than the problem, <laughs> right? The, the cure is worse than the disease here, what he's saying. So go to verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my, the Holy One, You'll never, you, uh, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them 
to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? God, this is not a solution at all. The Babylonians are more wicked than the Israelites, right? The only thing worse than Israel is Babylon. You can't do this. And what he means is someone like you, God, can't do something like this. Right? Verse 13, Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You are holy. God, you're, you're 100% purity and holiness. An evil empire like Babylon can't have anything to do with your plan. Right? You can't, your, your hands are, are, are pure hands. You can't get them just dragged up in the messiness of the Babylonian empire. A God like that, you, you can't do that. He's shocked. He's offended. He's confused. He's wrestling. Is this making sense? What he's going through. And, and he's getting at the very heart of some people's deepest questions about God, which is God. How can you be so good and pure and, and wonderful? And how can there be so much brokenness and evil in the world? And it's one thing to say, if we're, for God to say, I allow evil in this world. Okay, that's one thing to say, for God to say that. And I think every Christian believes that. God allows evil in this world. We, we get it. God created these beings, human beings, with, that are morally accountable people, and they make choices. And those choices lead to all sorts of brokenness in the world. So we get God saying, I allow evil. But God is saying more than that here. He's saying, I am using evil. He says, I'm raising them up. They are my chosen instrument to bring justice on my people. Now, he has ultimate redemption for his people in mind. But that, that is a, um, that's a different thing to say. I'm, I'm using this. This is part of my sovereign plan for my people. Deeply troubling to Habakkuk. Deeply troubling, I think, to many of us, right? We, I want to keep God nicely compartmentalized. <laughs> I want to keep his plan compartmentalized from really bad things that happen in the world, really bad people that enter the world, right? And the problem is there's just too many stories like this where there's really bad things that happen, evil things that happen, dark and bad happen, and then looking back, the writers go, oh my gosh, God somehow... Your plan was weaving through those, those things. Now, we're not saying you, 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 the direct cause of these things. You're not evil, right? You don't do evil. But looking back, this somehow, somehow this is, your, your plan is, is, is weaved into this. And the biggest event is this one right here. <laughs> At the center of our faith. I was just thinking about this this week. This is the most evil event in the history of the world. The murdering of God's own perfect son, God in the flesh, murdered by humanity. It's the worst event of all time, and it is the most redemptive event of all time. But this event requires evil things to bring it about. You have the evil of the Jewish leadership of the day, their arrogance, their fear of Jesus, right? their jealousy of him. You have the, the Roman government and the, just the cruelty of crucifixion. 
you have a traitor, Judas, the decisions he makes. And then behind it, you have Satan at work, putting it in the heart of Judas, the scriptures, John's gospel says. Putting it, you have all these things that are required to, to bring this about. And yet no one thinks, no Orthodox Christian thinks, oh, God just sort of like in the moment, like I can work with this. I'll, I'll kind of, you know, figure something out and I'll, I'll do a little uh, call an audible and I'll make this work for good. Looking back, we somehow know, God, this is your, this is your plan. Your plan was woven through a very messy, complex set of things to bring about deep, deep good and redemption in the world. Everyone who did what they did are accountable for what they did. You are not accountable, they are. And yet somehow, this is, this is part of your story. It's troubling, right? And, and I was thinking, the, the image I had this week was of like a, like a woven, imagine like a woven rug or like a tapestry. We've got all these, you know, these, these threads that run through it. And, and God's, God's sovereign will is like this thread, this red thread that runs through this tapestry of, of all human history. And it's not like God's thread is weaving and then some bad thing happens and it's like, oh, I'm gonna, I gotta go around there and keep going another bad thing. No, we'll curve left here. We'll look at this and look back. Somehow, God, your, your sovereign will is mysteriously at work in the midst of, in spite of, through these things, again, that are not your direct responsibility, but that you are somehow able to, you, your sovereign will incorporates and works in these things. You guys still with me? And I just want to say there's, there's, there's two possible responses to that, both very understandable. understandable. One is it's very unsettling. We, we, again, we want to keep God in a different compartment from some of the things that happen, his will. It's unsettling, it's troubling, and it's one thing to be troubled like in a class, like a philosophy class about this stuff. But it really counts when, when stuff hits your life that is hard, and, and when, when sickness, or death, or evil, or sin, or trauma hits your life, and you're trying to figure out, God, where are you? And you're trying to, and this gets into some unsettling territory. And Habakkuk is, he's confused and he's unsettled, and he's yeah, he doesn't know what to do with it. Spoiler alert, this is where the, the story's gonna end. There is another option, another response, and it's actually this, to, to walk through the unsettling nature of that idea, but then in the end to become actually deeply comforted by it. Comforted by the idea that says, God, there's nothing that happens in my life or in this world that is outside of your sovereign will's ability to weave right in the mess and thick of this. Everything. And that means there's nothing that has ever happened to me <laughs> that your sovereign will is like, we gotta just cut that out. Nothing that you're, you cannot weave your redemptive purposes through. I may never see it in this life. I'm not gonna pretend to go to tell, tell someone what God's up to in their life when they're going through, through really hard things. But there's nothing that your hand, your loving and redemptive hand can't be a part of. 
And that means also there's nothing that I can do. There's no sin or evil or mistake that I can commit that just crosses over. It's like, it's over. It's over for me. Because your sovereign will is that big. That's what sovereignty means. Everything. And so there's a chance to actually be troubled, but ultimately deeply comforted by this reality of of what it means for God to be sovereign. And yet to still be 100% good without a trace of evil himself. Okay. Let's see where this goes with Habakkuk. Almost there. We left him offended and confused, right? Lord, you can't do this. He ends his second complaint. Look at chapter two, verse one. I will stand at my watch, God, and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint, right? God, I'm gonna stand, and what do you say to this complaint? And then we get God's second answer. His answer, I'll tell you right now, is this. Don't worry about the Babylonians. I will deal with them too in my time. They'll get justice just as my people will get justice. Look at verse two. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, right? This isn't gonna happen right away, but wait for what I'll do to the Babylonians. It will surely come, it will not delay. And then in verse six, he talks about the nations that will be taken down by the Babylonians, that are gonna be conquered by them. He says, don't worry. One day these nations together will issue a taunt to Babylon because Babylon too will be taken down and justice will be given to them. And the, the nations offer a series of woes to Babylon. Look at this, verse six. Well, not all of them, that's all the nations. Taunt him is, is the Babylonian, the, the Babylonians together. Will they not taunt them with ridicule and scorn saying, woe to him who piles up stolen goods. This is the Babylonians who do this in battle and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise one day? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey because you have plundered nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you. Verse nine, woe to him who builds up his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town with justice. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so they can gaze on their naked bodies. Get lots, lots of woe coming on Babylon. God says, don't worry. Babylon is my instrument for a time to bring justice to my people, to discipline them, bring them into exile, but then to return and to ultimately purify them. But Babylon will get her day too. Justice will come on Babylon. And all will be made right in the end, Habakkuk. That's God's response. And right in the second response, there's three gems. I just want you to see these. Some of these are famous verses, these little gems that God puts in there. First one, look at, uh, this is chapter two, verse 14. Once God brings justice in the world, it says, one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The waters cover the sea. One day when I work, when I put things right, the world will be filled with my glory, the knowledge of my glory. As the waters cover the sea, I was thinking, how do waters cover the sea? 
The waters are the sea. Water's everywhere in the sea. That's how the earth will be saturated with my glory when people see my ultimate goodness, me making all things right. He ends this second response in in verse 20. Look at verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I am God. I, I bring kingdoms up and I bring them down and I am the one in heaven and let everyone be silent and acknowledge who I am for me. And then one other one, the most famous verse maybe in all of Habakkuk, maybe all of the minor prophets actually, little, little verse, in, look at verse four, chapter two, verse four, describing the arrogance of the enemy of the Babylonians. See, this is verse four, the enemy is puffed up His desires are not upright, and then here it is, but the righteous person will live by his faith. The righteous will live by faith. Did you know that that's from Habakkuk? He's saying the enemy is doing what they're doing, but the righteous person, they will watch what happens. They will see the evil in the world. They will see my mysterious plan working out, but they'll also see my justice, and they'll know that I'm God, and they will choose to live by faith. They will trust me. They will cling to me, even though everything around them seems to be falling apart. The righteous will live by faith. This is the theme verse of the book of Romans. The righteous will live by faith. Galatians 3, the righteous will live by faith. Hebrews 10, the righteous will live by faith. This becomes the cry of the New Testament authors. This is what life with God is all about. It's about being confused. Seeing the brokenness, seeing God's plan weaving its way in ways that you never would have suspected and yet still saying, I trust you, Lord. I will cling to you. You are God. I am not. And so chapter three, we won't read it all, but is Habakkuk's response. And he ends with a prayer of thanks and trust. And I was thinking, you know, we can read this book in 10 minutes. And you go through the whole cycle of Habakkuk's questions in 10 minutes. This may have been a year-long process for him, wrestling with God, trying to make sense of what he's doing. And so this is the praise that he offers is hard-fought praise, okay, that he has to struggle with and think through. And let me just read you just a couple verses. This is chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Uh, or deeds, Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember your mercy. And then the rest of the psalm is a picture of God, like the warrior king, who comes and does battle on behalf of his people, defeating enemies and making all things right. And he draws all this imagery from like the Exodus and the plagues that came through the Exodus and the parting of the seas uh, and uh, lightning and fire at Mount Sinai, the walls of Jericho coming crumbling down the day that God made the sun stand still while they were fighting. All these images that remind them of God as a warrior who fights for his people. And Habakkuk looks at that vision and he's, he's caught up with that vision. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. Look at verse 16. It's, it's like, remember when Job encountered God? Job was wrestling. So it's like a 40-plus chapter wrestling match, a three-plus chapter wrestling mask, uh, match. And he has all these questions for God. God. God never answers his questions, right? He just shows up. God just shows up and reveals his glory. And Job is like, okay, <laughs> that's, I, that's all I needed. <laughs> I, I have seen you, and you are God, and I am not. 
and I'm going to trust you. And that's Habakkuk's response. So look at verse 16. Look at how this ends, the last couple verses of Habakkuk. He has this vision of this mighty God, right, showing up as a powerful warrior God. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. It's like the, the, the vision of God was so powerful. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Okay, you still with me? Okay, think of this. God has just told him, Babylon's coming to bring justice to my people, yet one day justice will be brought on Babylon. I will bring them back into the land. Is Habakkuk gonna be around for that? He is not. He is not gonna be around to see Babylon receive what she, she, de- she deserves. So God is telling him something that is gonna go past his life. And here's his response. He's stuck in a time of disobedience, but there's a beautiful plan being played out. It's just a big, long plan. Here's how Habakkuk ends. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, <laughs> this is his time, and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stars, no matter what happens, he says, it is well with my soul. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will trust him. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Isn't that beautiful? God broadens his perspective. I gotta take you outside of this moment, Habakkuk. I, I need you to see the grand vision of what I'm doing. You're actually not gonna see it in your lifetime, but this is the story you're a part of. That's a tough pill to swallow. And Habakkuk looks at that and says, okay, you are God. I will trust you. No matter what I see in my day, and it's gonna get worse in his day, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust in your plan. I'm gonna be a part of what you're doing because the righteous live by faith. And so that's the book of Habakkuk. I said it's a, it's a book about wrestling, but it's, ultimately it's actually a book about trust. And I would call it ruthless trust. Not simple trust, not easy trust, not, not a trust that just like, yeah, but it's not blind trust, but a trust that is willing to face into the hard questions, is willing to wrestle, was willing to get angry with God, willing to duke it out in the ring, and yet cling to him. And say, yet through all of this, Lord, where, where am I gonna go? <laughs> I will, I will continue to trust you. I will fight you, <laughs> and I will cling to you. And this is what Habakkuk shows us. Ruthless Trust is a book that, with that title by Brendan Manning. He says this, against insurmountable obstacles and without a clue as to the immediate outcome, the trusting heart says, Abba, I surrender my will and my life to you without any reservation and with boundless confidence, for you are my loving father. And so I think one of the most obscure books in the Bible has one of the simplest messages in all the Bible and it's a two-word message from God and it's this, trust me. Trust me. And that is, I think, the most repeated command in all of scripture. And it's negative, which is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, trust me. And I assume that's because that's the command we need to hear most of all. I know that love me is the most important command from God, love me with all you got, but trust me, I think is the one we actually need to hear most of all. Trust me, when it's good, 
when it's bad, when it's easy, when it's hard, when it's light, when it's dark, when you can see the way ahead, when you can't, trust me. And so I leave you with that. I want, I want us just to go before the Lord right now and ask yourself, where, where is it you need to hear that simple call from your Lord? Trust me. So let's pray. When we bow, And would you just hold before the Lord your life right now? What is, what is on the plate of your life right now? What has been on your mind lately? What responsibilities are you carrying? What weights are you carrying? What burdens? What hopes? What fears? What decisions that you need to make? And where in your life, just pick one right now, do you need to hear those words from God, those words from God just saying, trust me. You can trust me with this. As Ryan was talking about earlier, you can, you can let, your, let loose your grip. Trust me. I know you can't see how this is gonna go. Trust me. The righteous live by faith, by trust. So take a moment with your God to hear him speak those words to you.